0: Welcome to the Enthusiast Podcast, where I sit down with leading founders, operators, and investors that are trailblazers in their ecosystems, leapfrogging development and creating growth for their economies. We dive into the nitty gritty of scaling business and investing, showcasing the tremendous success cases beyond Silicon Valley. This is Pat from The Enthusiast. On this episode, I had the honor to sit down with one of the great icons in private equity and venture capital in Latin America, Fersen Lambrano, chairman of the board of GP Investments, which is up there as one of Latam's, if not the leading PE firm with more than 5 billion assets under management that invests in a wide range of asset classes and industry through different vehicles. The last 10 years of the firm Have been especially interesting where they have diversified beyond their core having transformed themselves into a permanent capital operator with a listed vehicle. One of its newer vehicles notably being the Craftery, a CPG focused fund that has invested in the likes of NotCo and Moss Earth. We reflect on Fersen's 30 year long career, his take on what makes a great CEO and how the investment space has evolved in Brazil over the last decades. From the importance of immigration, family-led businesses, to the entrepreneurship movement started by Endeavor. There are several fun facts here which exemplify the weight of GP and Fersen's role in the space. Endeavor Brazil was founded in GP's offices in the early 2000s with the partners of the firm backing the organization and GP investor in Submarino, the company co-founded by an ex-GP employee, Martinez Gubari who later on became famous as the co-president of General Atlantic. It was such a pleasure to have Fersen on the show, reflecting on his legacy, his lessons learned. There's so much wisdom in there. A special shout out to Manza from Big Bats for putting us in touch. Without further ado, directly onto the episode with Fersen Lombrano. Chairman of the Board of GP Investments. Hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Remember, you can follow The Enthusiast wherever you're getting your podcast and make sure to check out our newsletter on LinkedIn, Substack, and Medium. Now, onto the show. Hi, Fazan. It is such a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thanks for making the time.
1: Thank you for for inviting me
0: Oh uh, it's a great honor I mean you're one of the big investors uh, coming out of the Brazilian PE and tech space and I'm really excited to dive into your personal story and I'm curious just to kick things off what brought you into the investing space in Brazil more than 30 years back already
1: in reality it was not something I decided to do in the first class. I started working in a retail business, first company acquired by Jorge Paulo, in Marcel, back in 1982. Then the fact that I come to the investment activity is a consequence of the story in Las Americanas. To be very honest, I'm not, I never feel as an investor. I always feel as an entrepreneur, investor is just a consequence of something. Normally I say I'm not an investor, I stay in an investor position, because I really believe the, the money makes when you are operating a business.
0: Absolutely. And to dive a bit deeper into this, like in your opinion, what makes a successful operator? Because you really emphasize this part of operating a business. What are kind of the key key metrics for that, that you know, okay, I'm doing this well?
1: The real important thing is you act in a business as an owner, no matter if you are employee, or no matter which level you are inside the company. If you behave as an owner, probably you grow inside the organization and you have a lot of advantage of it. Then the first thing is to think in the company first and make the right thing, no matter what people to say, is probably the most important thing to, to to be a success in business. Drives a lot of success in career also
0: that ownership part certainly nowadays it gets a bit more difficult right because we have as a manager there's a lot of turnover you might only stay for a few years like how can you combine having long-term objectives with a lot of short-term thinking that we actually do have in business?
1: I think people eventually could have short-term view vision and, and acting as a professional they probably are very similar to professionals over decades. And the only difference now, the, the cycle is shorter, but what makes difference in, in career when you really act as a owner of something, and that's make total difference. I'm trying to say is, I think the word today helps people which doesn't think as owner, to find place to do jobs and to make missions, one company, another company, another company. Okay, that's fine, no problem. But I always a place and reward for someone to really try to build something more long term. Probably, in the past, people with short term view stay in companies for a long time but not grow up inside the company and do a good career as a professional, but those who really think long-term normally uh, develop the career more than the other. And nowadays the difference is because you can change easily, change the environment. I don't think change the core, what we are talking about. I, I don't believe in, in people who are creating company Think in the short term, for instance. Entrepreneurs who would really build important business, they probably are thinking long term. Besides the fact that the people make money, build a company two years, sell it, and build another and sell it, and build another and sell it. The question is over 30 years, if you look at the impact of someone who does this compared to someone who stays strict. In, a, in a bi- one business, trying to make it better and better, who will do better? Who show more results? I guess people think long-term.
0: And your success is certainly testament to that. Your track record shows how long-term thinking can ultimately pay off. And I'm curious how that translates into the investment decisions GP is making. And uh, what do you look out for in a business and, an, and, and a leadership team that you invest in eventually
1: yeah when you look at gp history i think we are really different from the majority of the people because we're doing private equity especially outside of brazil because in countries as brazil is more operational the financial play then as the beginning gp always try to do an investment company with they we can control And think in long term as much as we can, even we need to sell the company in the middle of the process because it's a fund, it's a private equity fund. But our average investment period is more than eight years, which is quite long. But more important than that, we always took a decision. And why choose our targets? Think in a long term play. When you go to venture capital, what we have done in the 90s and we do again, what we try to do to translate these in situations we are minority shareholders is looking for entrepreneurs we feel really good enough to back them instead to replace them. I think this is the first thing. The second is how how different technology we are talking about. Because if you invest in venture capital, you do, you'll do be a minority shareholder of someone. It needs to be something different, something which changed the world in any sense. And third, market needs to be large, to be big, which makes sense for you to be a minority shareholder in someone who has a big dream. Then I think In reality, the way we have been thinking about investment translated the same way in private equity and venture capital. We be always very, very fundamentalist. When you look at the more than 50 companies we have in venture capital today, our entrepreneurs are normally more older than you think. 45, 50... People who has some history in business, some history, is entrepreneur. People are more mature, which helps to have this more fundamentalist about the business.
0: When did GP decide to go into VC and take on minority positions? Because it's certainly different from GP's original core business, which was taking control, taking majority ownership of businesses and scaling them and then having a PE, classic PE exit further down the road, right? Walk us through that decision-making process and when did it happen and why at that moment?
1: In the 90s, we play venture capital through the first phase of internet. By the time, we were more controlled because it's the majority of the case, we create the companies, we hire entrepreneurs. And that, that's the reason on the blow up, the internet bubble, we started to to help create endeavor in Brazil, because we feel it doesn't make sense for for you to to look for entrepreneur or to hire someone from the banks or someone from from consulting companies to be a founder company you are put the money in as we did then. This prevented us to come back to venture capital for many years. Since the beginning of 2000s, we just returned in 2007, 2017 and 2018. And the reason was the fact that we recognize that digitalization is a fact. And to continue to change companies or culture of companies, what we have been done for so long time, this new this new component is quite important, digitalization. And that is driven not just by people, but, but technology. And it would be very difficult to repeat the model we have done in the 90s. We really look someone who has something inside, who decided to create a company, to decide to create a technology, to decide a change a certain markets, and what we can give to them is our experience in business? Because if they are success, and when they grow, they start to have pains with the normal pains of, of human relationships, which come for a thousand years, it's the same. Then we can provide to these people our our knowledge in doing this so different in industries for so long time. But to take the company from a point we invest to the point they really need our help. We need a drive or an entrepreneur. And that's justified to be a minority shareholder. And that is the reason we don't do, as we did in the 90s, create from scratch a company which you put a team in place and try to move. Because digitalization brings velocity, capabilities. You need to be from someone who was already in that process. If they are the right people, the right person, you don't need to lead them. You need to eventually help them. And that's our thesis. The things we do as a control, we spend our muscle, our brain. The thing we do minority, we have someone with enough muscle, enough energy, and we need to give them part of our brain part of our knowledge, part of our track records to help them scale up more and better, but not, it's not something we need to start, but we need to put ourselves in play. And that way we can multiply ourselves. We can control few companies. We can be a minority shareholder in many companies. That is the, the thesis behind our decision. It's not a difficult decision. Because we recognize that technology drives something so important, so important in digitalization, new world, that makes sense for us eventually be part of the group, not the leader of the group.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And how does that then trickle down into the organizational structure of GP? Do you have a separate PE? team, a separate VC team? Do you have the different vehicles? How do you set this then up and and to have the right people in place?
1: The way we we did this in GP is considering it's important for the whole team to be on both sides because we see a cross-fertilization. The way we define our venture capital activity is bring our knowledge of outside- the normal world, the, the old world to the new world. Then, in the, in the other hand, the lessons we learn from those entrepreneurs in digital companies help us to change culture, what we do as a control shareholders in the old style company. The volume of companies that need to be digitalized from the from the, the, the world. Is much larger than the number of companies will grow and develop from startups. Then the big mission is not create new companies. The big mission is to change the companies already in the markets. Said that we, in our venture ecosystem, we have com- people based in London who look for consumer packaged goods disruptors. Is a specific team with a, a, a former partner of GP in this team, and we have a team also in Silicon Valley. And when you look total effort of GP due to G2D, we have three teams, UK team, US team, they are very focused, just ventures, and the Brazilian team, your GP team and New York team, which is focusing both. Then we try to do a, a mix, in order to have this cross-testilization, which is the reason to do venture capital in our view.
0: Absolutely. And we're going to talk more about the powerhouse that JP has become and kind of the different vehicles that that you have there. It's, it's very interesting that the structure that the firm has. But before that, I wanted to segue into a different um, kind of macro perspective here, which is um, the Brazilian investment space has evolved a lot. During the time of GP, during your own investment career, so can you tell us a little bit, like what were the, kind of the key milestones that you feel Brazilian PE or the Brazilian ispe- investment space has gone through over those last thirty years? Because we've seen ups and downs, we've seen different crises. We're now in a different watershed moment. Sometimes it helps to zoom out and to see a, the big picture, which you certainly have seen.
1: Uh, the the trajectory of private equity in Brazil started beginning of nineties when GP was created. By the time, basically, the, the country is, is the companies are family-owned companies. And the private equity tried to start this process of families sell partially or totally the business. It was very impacted by the, by the privatization. Then if you are doing private equity in the market during 90s is a mix of privatization and and, and family-owned companies. In 2005, 2005 more or less, you have an advent of IPOs. Then you have the facility, you have a country which you have some private equity activity, not much, and IPOs picking up. I think this shaped the Brazilian entrepreneur community to understand the difference between own a company, own own money, and and you start to see families change positions. I think that's a very important uh, situation. Then, of course, comes the craze of 2008. Then, more recently, you have an advent of venture capital capital picking up in Brazil as private equity is small percentage of the the country economy compared to developed markets. Even PE or venture capital is smaller, limited to more enabled technology, then there are no much or there are no deep tech or those kind of things like that. Then I, I think you have another important point with the more recently, when the XP start to, to grow, et cetera, which individuals go to invest in stock markets is another wave happens in the country. Then today, I think we have a sizable venture capital players. I think few private equity players, public market is more is more popular. Nomela is not popular today, but people know more how to use it then I think the country is evolving in a good direction. As the economy shows better outcome next years, definitely Brazil is prepared for support by different ways to finance new business, venture capital, private equity, stock market, etc. But as you said, we, we always live in windows. The windows for the IPO, the windows for the ventures, the windows is not it's different than the US, which the market is always open. Very few moments is not open. In our cases are quite different. You need to play, play the fashion of the moment. And that eventually explain why be a private actor, venture capital in Brazil focus, as you have you see in other markets, is so difficult. Because you leave from windows, you need to be prepared to play the game of the fashion. Otherwise, eventually you can stay off the market for quite a while.
0: Absolutely. Why even bother? I mean, you were saying it is so difficult. Someone has said kind of uh, LATAM is the graveyard of private equity in the world. Why even bother investing in, in LATAM in this asset class? Do, what what would you say to someone who is making that claim? Ultimately, it's a, it's a small asset class in, in the global landscape. Is there real money to be made, actually? Funny that I'm asking you that, but... Uh, I, I thought it would be FedEx.
1: I, I understand what people say that. People say that because they cannot play the, the game of leverage, which is the base of the private equity. The second thing is when you measure yourself in dollars, the region doesn't help much. Said that, definitely you can do a good play, but you need to be operational, as I said before, and to make sure that your the money you raise could be much as possible would protect as much as can, the exchange rates. I think that's two things. Then, if you raise the money in reais to invest in reais is better, or in pesos or whatever. And if you consider that you play operational game instead of financial game, better. For someone who comes here to this market, try to replicate what they do in US. I think it's very tough. Is really tough. And you take consideration that eventually many success players in US, the way they play the game doesn't allow them to be successful in Latin America. Because to be success there, there's a different skills to be successful in Latin America.
0: Do you think that's ever going to change? Because I'm a strong proponent that we need more capital in LATAM, and that has to come from abroad. And we've got great cases in Asia, markets uh, that have grown exponentially and became developed markets, right? We've got the Asian tigers, but LATAM has underperformed in real economic growth for many, many years, if you look at it historically. Uh, Do you think we can change that somehow?
1: Definitely we can change, but definitely there's something related to rule of law, focus on, create the conditions, for investors came here and enjoy results, which I think happened in Asia. Uh, you can blame the strong government's help. I don't want to do this point here, but if you look at the last 30 years or 40 years, the reality is Asian countries have done a much more good better job in order to create a what we call rule of law to guarantee guarantee results from their public policy. And maybe public policies are something Latin America needs to, to improve, to improve in order to guarantee those kind of results.
0: Yeah, certainly. We need good policy makers, just as we need good investors. Uh, we, need, we need the private and the public sector, without any doubt.
1: I believe it's impossible to have good investors if you don't have good policy makers.
0: Uh, all the time, any
1: shake in the world, the decision make decision makers is basically based in London, US. They go to fly to quality. Quality means their market. In emerging market, you compete. You compete with all emerging markets: Mexico, Brazil. You compete against India, South Africa. I don't think China, China is out of the chart for many, many years. Or even Russia, that's our competition. And no matter if you are. It's not the question if you are good or bad. You need to be better than your competition. If Mexico is doing extremely well, maybe it affects Brazil or affects South Africa. Because, as you know, the way the investors are organized, they are organized in the same pocket and merger markets. And the currency, the currency problem is the same. The currency problem, in any place that they invest, they have a currency problem. Then that's not an advantage we have anyone have in that pocket.
0: That is so true. Moving back to GP, I mean, you're you're chairman of the board and GP strategy today is certainly quite complex given the size that the firm has achieved. Can you walk us a little bit through it? What's the investment focus of GP today? And what are the different vehicles? You already mentioned the craftery based out of London, uh, focus on consumer tech, which is very exciting. Can you kind of give the audience a bit of an and higher level bird's eye view on on what is GP today and, and what are you focusing on?
1: Well first of all GP decide not to raise a normal fund. We do permanent capital or permanent capital structures. And today, long the long story short, we divide our life into pockets. One is company we control for a long time, Centauro, Bureau Properties, now we have an insurance company where uh, we acquired Kawakaji, Bravo Brio, investment Business in the U.S. And the other pocket is, as I mentioned before, G2D, which Crafter is included, which we invested in late-stage disruptive concepts And as a minority shareholder. We tried that way to play as a minority shareholder for models focused to the future and use that that knowledge also to help us to to run business with control and we tend to stay long long term
0: as simple as that. I mean, you made that probably rather controversial decision to to list a vehicle how how does that work because usually in PE I mean there's theres certain fixed fund structures it's 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 very traditional usually how you play the PE game. Why did you decide to innovate on that structure?
1: because, after 30 years doing funds, after 65 companies we control, it's very, very hard to build something and to sell in the middle of the process. Build companies takes long. It's not a five year, it's not five years, not six years, it's more than 10. And then in our trajectory, we have building credible companies. Companies we cannot replicate and we need to sell it because it is inside the fund. After a period of time, it turns very, very difficult for us as, a, as individuals, as a, as a human being, to live with that reality. Then we decide to to do less and do things we can feel comfortable to stay ever, or not. But the decision is not made because we have a cool. A necessity to sell something. And start again. It starts again. It starts always again.
0: I, I see your point. It's it's frustrating. It's, it's kind of like like children that you that you raise, and then you have to let them go kind of at the at the wrong point in time and it just gets interesting, right?
1: Children doesn't have to let go. Business not necessarily <laughs> Students don't have the no option. <laughs> Businesses don't have the no option. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's
0: a good point. That's so interesting what you're saying there. You personally have been focused also more more of late in in other projects also around uh, saving the Amazon, around green capitalism. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? We often talk about capitalism as the problem and not necessarily as the solution. So I'm curious to have your point of view there.
1: I think definitely we have a problem. The Industrial Revolution created this world we live, the way we live. Definitely, we, when you look at a city like London where I live, or New York, or Santiago, or Sao Paulo, I make a question. Is This is good for who? It's good for the birds? It's good for the animals? It's good for the plants? It's good for the mankind? probably not for all, then no doubt in years come, we need to reveal the way we do the things. And definitely the big, the the, the universities of the world will develop different way transportation, different way the industry, different way to do the things in, in order to turn more green, more sustainable the way we live. And that will be driven. By U.S., by Europe, by China, people who really has universities capable to do the search, scientific search, etc. But the other thing you have to look at is not how to transform the industrial revolution style, but how the men could back to the nat natural natural way to live. The Earth has more than 4 billion years. The nature is the operational system of the world. To look at the nature and think there is so much knowledge we can capture from that, we need to respect and capture information from billions and billions of years of this operational system, is something I feel compelling. And I think this could be done just in countries like Brazil. What the nature is really abundant. I think that is the role of Brazil in that fight to survive. And we cannot replace for others. When you look life as a measure, and I say life is water, sun, wind, uh, biodiversity, etc. Brazil is gigantic. The US is not much. Then I think it's the hard part is how the mankind really, really look the nature as a a solution, a book of information, which the solutions is not from us to the forest, but the forest for us. That's something I feel very compelling. And I think Brazil has a a role in that position. That's the reason I try to provoke young people like you to think that way, because my generation is lost. The new generation needs to look the other way around, and maybe in the 275 Indian languages in Brazil alive, the answers for many, many of our questions. When you look quantum computer, look all this powerful way to analyze the things. I believe from the forest comes the majority of the solution for turning our life uh, live better. That's my my view. It's tough. It's difficult. I think the, the the part of reshape the industrial revolution way of life will be easier to do, but it's not enough to solve the problem. The problem is bigger.
0: And in that sense, as you're calling for the younger generation, I wanted to ask you, what what would you tell your younger self? Like, if you had the opportunity of doing it all over again, of starting from zero, what would you maybe have done differently?
1: I do the things more slowly. I think I, I enjoy more life. I think I have more kids, not just two. And definitely... If I am 20 years old today, I will try to do something in that field I told you about, the nature. Humble, think that we have to learn from them. I don't believe we have to teach. We can teach. I think we can learn. When I see the new generation talk about be green, if you change the way you do cement industry, the way you do transportation is important, yes. But this my generation could do. To really put yourselves inside the nature and enjoy this, that's something could be very helpful, very important. It could save the the mankind. Because if you don't go to the right direction, it'll be easy. Something happened. The Earth convolated in some problems, but after some I don't know hundred years, thousand years, the Earth will be re- returned back without the mankind. <laughs> I think as simple as simple as that. I would be ashamed if you, we be the the most important species in the earth less time than the dinosaurs. We are very shame.
0: We are less significant than we might think, right? We are not as important.
1: Exactly. My utopia is based on digitalization, this I-climb effort plus looking for understanding the nature using all those new technologies we are developing for, understand everything in the, in, the, in the universe, we can return back to our position, the ecosystem, which is part of the ecosystem, not the leader of the ecosystem.
0: Yeah, that's very well said. There's three questions I'm asking everyone on the podcast. Would you be ready for those uh, three questions? Let's see. All right. So first one is, who's an entrepreneur you admire and why? Can I say true? That's so what, That's a what you can say too.
1: I think Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, I think his book his book he book he wrote about his life, his incredible book because all the elements to run a company is there. and he made a company which he believes survived after him. And the second is Steve Jobs. I think Steve Jobs is the guy who who put together the poetry, and the business in a nice way, changed the world. And his story, put at, out of the, his company from the board, and returned back is incredible. History. I think there's two men, somehow of the principles of running a business, and but Steve Jobs represented how technology could be part of the humanity. I think is is, is very important.
0: Two great examples, for sure. And uh, second question, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received and would like to pass on to others?
1: Don't look for the past. Don't be afraid for the future. The only thing you really have is now. Not today. Now. Normally, people suffer because they suffer for the problem they had, the press. And they suffer because they are very anxious about the future and forget to leave the only real thing is now. To open space for now could change completely your life. And if you want to do a business for yourself, the only real reason you'd be success if you enjoy or do your best now and again and again and again.
0: Last but not least, three key words that describe a successful business, in your opinion.
1: Protect your customer. Make sure that your people love what they're doing. And there are no way to be success in business if you don't protect the economics of the business and the cash flow of the business. Then customer your people and the health what you are doing especially in cash
0: more important than ever especially in today's environment person it was such a pleasure having you on the show is there anything else you would like to share with the audience
1: no thank you very much I it's a pleasure to be here it's a pleasure to be a guy like you working in endeavor which is a fantastic organization try to to bring people an open space for for different people talks about uh, the feeling, but that the way the young generation could could really not commit the same mistake you have done in the past.
0: We got to try at least. Thanks, Vazan. Uh, thanks for making the time.
1: Thank you. Nice to talk.
0: Thank you for listening to the Enthusiast Podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts to always stay up to date with the latest episodes. And if you enjoy the work we are doing, drop us a review or give us a rating. This show is produced by me, Patrick Alex. Also a big shout out to Constanze Ulreich, who is leading our newsletter efforts and much more. Title music by a stock studio called That Funk Show.